You're listening to the Rise and Love podcast, where we believe that you get to have love and success in all areas of your life. Your host, Crystal Iram, will help you understand yourself, your relationships, and what's keeping you from having the love relationship and life you really want. Week after week, you'll have your mind blown as you learn from experts and listen in on honest conversations to experience mindset shifts and get practical instruction on how to use your mind to support you in getting everything you desire. We'll get to the heart of the matter when it comes to designing and elevating all aspects of love and life. Here's your host, educator, relationship coach, and lawyer, Crystal Iram. Hello, 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 and welcome. Crystal Iram here. And thank you for being with me with the late start. I have a really great training. This is going to be very, very powerful. So if you don't have a pen and notebook, I would suggest you grab one because you're going to want to take some notes. Uh, For those of you who are new to my world, I'm Crystal Iram. I am the creator of the School of Manifesting Love. I coach women on manifestation and specifically manifesting love. And we are really going to dig into not just some of the subconscious blocks, but a bit about like how we're going to move them, how we're going to shift them, why they are playing such a big role in your love life. So Before I go any further, I do want to mention that the doors are officially open to the School of Manifesting Love. The School of Manifesting Love is my signature program, and we really go in-depth into each step of Manifesting Love. I think of it as my implementation program because I don't just give over my framework for Manifesting Love, but I really walk you through it and how you can actually implement it within your own life. It's extremely powerful, and this is the exact framework that I used in my life and that I've now used with many, many other women to help them go from single to happily married, happily coupled up, happily living with someone, happily engaged very quickly. I've had clients go from single to engaged in as little as three months. So this framework is really powerful, and the step-by-step, which I lay out in the School of Manifesting Love, is everything. So what we're going to break down, we're going to talk about... The biggest blocks to manifestation, we're going to really dive into some of these. This awareness is going to be really, really powerful. The first thing that I want to talk about. Now, one of the things that's very interesting and problematic and annoying about our subconscious is that there's needs that the subconscious has, right? So it's like our subconscious, it doesn't take on a life of its own because we do have power over it, but because we're not aware of it, it sometimes seems as if it doesn't. It's sort of like it works out that way, right? Like we don't think about it too much. And obviously it's not going to change on itself, right? Because then we move into the ego and the ego has a drive to sort of stay alive, to stay present, to stay in control in a lot of ways. So the subconscious almost has its own needs. And so there are more needs, but there's two very powerful needs that the subconscious has that really really can slow us down or stand in our way or stop us from creating what we want. And most of us have these until we bring awareness to them and start to shift them. So these two needs are, the first one is the need to be right. And I'm sure you've felt this. I definitely am very susceptible to this need to be right. So the first one is the need to be right. And we're going to dig into that a little more. And then the second one is the need to be a victim. The need to place blame outside of ourselves. All right, so let's start with the need to be right. Whenever we're having a negative reaction to something, we can always know it's not actually the outside source causing the reaction. It is something that's going on internally. 
And this is very important because when we have a reaction, it feels like it's got to be this thing. This thing is happening. I'm noticing this thing. And this is making me feel some kind of way, right? Like this is bringing up something in me. But it's not the thing. It's not the thing outside of you that's making you feel that. It's something that's happening internally. It is some sort of story or memory or belief or stored emotion that that thing is sort of like tapping on for you, right? So that's why it's like someone can say something and you're like, oh, right? Like you have this intense reaction. You're just like, oh my gosh, where did that come from? You don't think that in the moment because it feels very real, right? Like when we're feeling reactive, we feel like this is warranted. It's only after the fact when you're like, wow, that was a really intense reaction. I'm sure that they didn't really mean it that way. It's because it's touching on something internal. So when we're having a deep emotional reaction, we are programmed to continue having that same reaction. We're programmed to keep having that same reaction until we will ourselves consciously to think about it differently. Okay. So it's like something happens. We feel triggered, not because of the thing that's happening outside of us, but because of something that's going on internally. And until we consciously say, I'm going to think about this differently. I'm going to approach this differently. I'm going to shift what I'm thinking and feeling about this. We're just going to keep reacting the exact same way. So this is important because it's worth understanding that like the thing that initially triggered you, that subconscious, right? Like you're having a reaction, your reaction, it's a reaction. You're probably not actively creating it. You're not thinking about it consciously as this is how I want to react. You're just reacting. Something is being touched in you. When you decide, I'm going to start observing my reactions rather than just reacting. So I'll give you an example. I am someone who gets very frustrated with like details and with like tech stuff. Okay. So in my business, I have people that support me with that because I get frustrated. I get really frustrated. I get very like impatient. And so if someone is trying to help me through something and I'm just not able to make sense of it, I just want to snap at them. I'm like, I don't know. Just figure it out. I don't know. Right. Where it's just like, I don't know. Like, isn't this your job? Like you, you, you should know. Why are you asking me? And it's like, I have these reactions. It's very visceral and it's like very immediate and it's not very nice usually. And I'm not consciously trying to be unkind. I'm not consciously trying to be impatient. It's a reaction that I'm having. Something is being triggered in me. Something is being touched on. And see, here's something that's worth knowing. I don't know exactly what it is and I don't need to know. I can see that when that particular sort of action happens, I do get triggered and something comes up in me and I get very contracted and very short with people. And I I still don't know exactly what that's about. I am not entirely sure why. And at some point, I may figure it out. At some point, it may feel important for me to understand or to know. Or at some point, it may just drop it intuitively. I'm like, oh my gosh, I know what this is. But right now, I don't know. (laughs) I just know what happens. And so it's not enough to just know that it happens. I then get to sort of take a step back. And instead of having the reaction, I get to notice what I'm feeling. So what usually happens is like it happens. I'm feeling really intense and kind of uptight and kind of like I want to snap at somebody. But there's something going on internally within me. So if I can bring my awareness into my actual body, 
before I react, it's extremely, extremely powerful because then I have control over the way that I react. Instead of just reacting, I get to sort of notice, oh, wow, I'm feeling some heat in my chest right now. Everything's getting really, really contracted. This does not feel good. I want a solution immediately. I don't want to be involved in this. This does not feel like something I'm going to be able to figure out. I don't have the patience for it, right? And it's like, I can recognize that I'm having this trigger, that I'm thinking these thoughts, that I'm feeling these feelings, and I don't have to act on that. I can just sort of notice. I can observe myself. And it's really powerful when you do this because it's like we become very attached to our thoughts. Like we always think that our thoughts are true. Very rare that we actually slow down and observe our thoughts. And then to question our thoughts. It's just not the way that we're really programmed. That's not what we do. So it's like we have all sorts of thoughts all day long. We're having thoughts about, you know, this, that, and the other. And it is so rare that we're like, wait a minute, is that the truth? And we create this connection with our thoughts where we feel like my thoughts, not only are they true, not only are they a reflection of reality, but that is me. They are me. Those thoughts are who I am. And the thing that's interesting about that is that when you can recognize your thoughts, when you're able to observe your thoughts, you notice that you are not the thoughts. You are the observer of the thoughts. Now, why is this relevant when we're talking about love? Because a lot of times we are thinking thoughts that we have thought a lot, very repetitively, And they were not true the first time we thought them, and they're still not true. And they are making us feel terrible. And they're running our love lives into the ground. We're thinking thoughts like, I'm never going to get what I want. It is so hard to find good men. If only I were this, or if only I were that, it would be possible for me to have love. We do it in every aspect of our lives. It's not just love, right? I'm never going to have enough. I never have enough. I don't have enough money. Did I say something wrong? Is that person thinking negatively of me? Right. And we just have this, we cycle. We take ourselves into this whole spiral of negativity and feeling really, really terrible. And we think that those thoughts are true. And we think that those thoughts are who we are. And the truth is that they're not. They're just thoughts. And most likely they're thoughts that are extremely practiced. Because the subconscious has this very deep need to be right. It is very hard for us to remember to challenge our thoughts and to create that disconnect between who we actually are and those thoughts. It's not that it's impossible. It's not that it can't be done. It's not that it's not worth doing. It's that the subconscious has a need to be right. The subconscious wants to be right. It doesn't want these thoughts that you've always had to be questioned. This is the same reason why you start to backslide after you've made a lot of progress in one area. If you're working on yourself and you're starting to develop in your own life, you're going to notice progress at a certain point. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is actually working. But your subconscious has a need to be right. So everything that's been in your subconscious for all this time, your subconscious is trying to guard. It's trying to keep it all in there. And so while you're like, oh my gosh, maybe this was all wrong. Like maybe things actually can be better for me. Maybe I actually can do this. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe like maybe all these possibilities are available that I didn't even realize. And your subconscious is like, nope, this isn't what I've been thinking all this time. This is not going to work for me. I want to be right. I've been saying the same thing for 32 years. 
I'm not adopting something new now. Are you crazy? And so then we sort of start to self-sabotage. We make choices and it's like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I doing this? Like, I want something different. I want something different. And yet I'm taking this old action. Your subconscious wants to be right. It does not want to change. The second big need of our subconscious, and this is a really big one that really slows us down, is this need to be a victim. Okay? A need to be a victim. What does this mean? This means that subconsciously, we are always looking to be the victim. We are constantly looking for ways to blame someone or something else for anything that's happening. It's this, the difference between blame and victimization versus power and responsibility, right? Anytime you're like, well, that's not my fault. Well, it's not my fault. That's because of something else. I can't find one because of the city that I'm in. It has nothing to do with me. I'm perfect. It's not me. It's the men. I- I'm doing everything perfectly. Our subconscious is like, yes, it's not us. It's them. Put it outside of us. And it's like the problem is that when you are making yourself the victim, whenever you are putting blame outside of yourself, it means you're abdicating responsibility and you're giving your power away to that thing that is outside of you. So whatever power, energy, creativity you have available to manifest what you desire in your life, you are giving it away. You're diminishing it. By blaming something else, you are diminishing your own power. And you're therefore making it harder to actively and consciously create what you want for yourself. And it becomes this cycle because you're like, well, see, now I don't have any power. I can't create anything. The reason that we are subconsciously blaming, the reason that we subconsciously have such a deep need to be a victim is because we want to shift the focus, our own focus, as well as the focus of other people. We want to shift focus away from our own insecure selves. We don't want others to see who we really are. We don't even really want to see who we are. We do not want to face those parts of ourselves that we do not like. And so long as we can keep the focus off of who we really are, as long as we can blame someone else, we can put the attention elsewhere, we don't have to change anything. We do not have to take responsibility for what we don't like about ourselves. We're denying parts of ourselves. There are parts of ourselves that we don't like, that we don't like having attention on, that we don't want attention on. We don't want other people to notice them. We don't even want to acknowledge them. And we're able to just get the focus off by being like, no, no, it's not my fault. Let me, let me look over here. Let me tell you about this problem that I'm seeing. Sometimes this manifests as what you may have heard referred to as projections, right? Like if we project on someone. So what's an example of this? The easiest example is when someone is doing something you really don't like. You're like, I don't like this person, right? Like, you know, think about like a woman you were in school with or, you know, a coworker who you're just like, oh my God, this bitch drives me crazy. Like I cannot deal with her. I cannot stand her. And often there's something about her that you recognize within yourself and it's too painful to confront within you. 
So you just look at it and her. It's like you're trying to create distance between this aspect of yourself that you do not like. Right? So by saying, oh, I hate this thing. I can't stand this person because of this particular thing. It's, it's a subconscious attempt to create distance. You're saying, I can't possibly have that. She has that. Look at her. And it's really jarring to recognize and accept that on some level, you're recognizing some aspect of yourself that you haven't been able to accept. I remember one time when I was in law school and I had two friends that were dating each other. And I was closer with the guy and he broke up with his girlfriend several times and she kept going back and like he he would break up with her. And then, you know, after a little while, she would kind of get him to take her back. She kept going back to him. I was like, this is so embarrassing. Like, why is she doing that? And I remember like complaining to some of my other friends. It was like, They're like, why do you care? And I realized it was because even though our circumstances weren't the same, she was displaying a behavior that I saw in myself, which was having really low standards. She was demonstrating her low self-esteem and her low self-worth. And those were qualities that were also present within me. I was constantly in situationships. I was only involved with people that were emotionally unavailable at that time. And some of those relationships were longer than others. Some were short, but it was a very consistent thing. And they didn't feel good to me. It was really eroding my sense of self and my self-esteem and my sense of self-worth. But I wasn't looking at my own circumstances and passing that judgment. I was looking at her and her circumstances. And I was feeling such disdain and I was feeling so embarrassed for her. And I was like, why are you doing that? How can you do that? Because she was doing the same thing as I was, just with different circumstances. But it was bearable to look at in her. And to look at in myself was unbearable. Here's the thing, though. When you are willing to start taking back those aspects of yourself that you've hated, that you've tried to hide, that you have tried to push away. When you can own those parts of yourself, your magnetism goes up because you're more accepting of yourself. You're giving yourself more space and more grace. You're being more wholly accepting of who you are as a person, and that is very attractive because it's like if we're always projecting, that goes for good things also. If you are a person who is fully accepting of herself, that means that you are going to be able to connect more with men who are also fully accepting of themselves, right? Who have that more genuine confidence and genuine self-love and self-approval. And that's a very magnetic and powerful quality. One of the other things that's challenging about this is that it takes a level of power and personal responsibility to recognize where we have desired to be the victim, where we have wanted to be the victim. And it's very uncomfortable to recognize that. But what's awesome about it is that when you can recognize it and you can accept it, that gives you the space to say, I understand how I've shown up in this way. I understand how I've played a role in these circumstances. And although I have loved being a victim, I'm willing to do something different. I am willing to now make a change. You're willing to take your power back. 
And here's what's very interesting is that we all think we want power, but a lot of times we are afraid of our own power. Terrified of like what that would mean, right? What would it mean if you actually were in charge? Like what would it mean if you actually did have power in your own life? And we often don't even want it, right? We don't even want that because with power comes responsibility, even in our own lives. That means we are responsible. Being responsible is like, oh my gosh, so much to do, so heavy, right? Like it doesn't necessarily sound like the most appealing thing. So we'll give away our power so that we don't have to have the responsibility. And it's a real trip. It's a real tricky thing that our mind does because when we blame someone, when we are making ourselves a victim, when we are feeling anger, right? And it's like, whenever you feel anger, you know that you are blaming someone. Whenever we are going through any sensations, emotions, feelings, thoughts that are related to this, it gives us a very immediate sense of power. And that can feel really good depending on where you're coming from. So, you know, you can think of your emotions and your feelings as sort of being like on a scale. And there's some that feel better and worse than others. So when we think about our emotions, for certain things, anger is going to feel a lot better. For example, for someone who's in a state of depression, that's a very low level feeling. It doesn't feel good. So if you can move into anger, that's going to feel a lot better. There's a lot of movement. There's movement, essentially. With depression, there usually isn't. So that could feel exciting. That could feel like there's a sense of clarity. That could feel like there's movement. And it gives you a sense of power as well. Now, the problem is, is that the power isn't real power. It's very fake power, and it does not last. It does not stay with us. But we can sort of get it for a second. feels really good. The problem is, is that we've actually given our power away. So it doesn't last. This is a very superficial feeling that we're bringing in. So the next thing I want to talk about are the core wounds that block us. So there's three of them, okay? There's core wounding around security, around love, and around self-esteem. So with security, this is very interesting, the way that this plays out in relationships, because so much of the wounding around security really comes in relationship to money, because money touches every single thing in our lives. And so when we are not secure, when we do not feel secure, we are going to look outside of ourselves to provide that sense of security. And the easiest thing to look to is financial security. That is what we think will give us the sense of inner security. Now, here's the bad news. Our security does not come from money. This is the reason why people can have a lot of money and still be deeply insecure. And this is the same reason why someone cannot have money and be secure. There was a movie called, um, I want to say The Richest Man in the World. And it was based on John Baghetti, who in the 1970s was the richest man in the world. And he was deeply insecure around money. He was a billionaire so many times over that most people couldn't even fathom. And he 
was so tight with his money. He was so contracted with his money and with his energy. And he had a reputation for this because he basically was a pretty miserable man. And there was an event that happened where one of his grandsons was kidnapped. And he had a policy that he would not pay ransoms. So his grandson is kidnapped. He gets the ransom note. And he's like, nope, not, not doing it. Whatever they asked for. I don't remember what it was. Millions. And they're going back and forth. And his daughter comes to him and is basically begging because these people have her son. And he will not give in. And, you know, they make credible threats about what they're going to do to his grandson. Eventually, they do cut off his ear. Um, I believe he was maimed in some other ways. And he did eventually give them some amount of money, but it was, I don't remember the exact amount, but we're talking about a billionaire paying a few thousand dollars. And, you know, on the one hand, you can understand that a billionaire doesn't want his grandchildren being kidnapped and held ransom all the time because, you know, that could end up using a lot of money. But also, this was an old man at the time. This was not someone with his life ahead of him. This was an old man. And he placed more value on protecting his wealth than potentially protecting his grandson. And, you know, his grandson did live and he had a lot of problems after that. I don't know if they were due to that, but, you know, he became addicted to drugs and he had some real serious scars because of that event. All of that was a very roundabout way of saying that security cannot come from something outside of us. The way that this often manifests in a relationship, though, is that we become very hung up on having a partner who's wealthy. And what's most interesting to me about this particular thing is that a lot of my clients are women who have financial stability, who have wealth on their own. But because we sort of tie in this sense of security with masculinity, with protection, it's like it cannot be disconnected. And so it's very hard for them to even consider someone who is not richer than they are. And the same thing goes for women who are not wealthy, where it's like one of their top priorities is someone who has a lot of money. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting money. There is nothing wrong with wanting a man with money. There's no problem with it. It's about understanding consciously where is it coming from within you. Because if you are hoping that you are able to manifest a man who has a lot of money to heal that core wounding regarding your security, you are in for a rude awakening because even having a man with a lot of money is not going to heal that. In fact, if that's what you call in without doing the healing, there's a good chance that money will become an issue that comes up. Right? These are the women who end up with someone who's very wealthy, who's extremely stingy with his money. He will not spare a cent. Or the men who are going to such great lengths to sort of try to show that they're able to like provide the lifestyle that you want that they can't actually support it. Right? It's like the Real Housewives, Erica and Tom. I've mentioned this before. I used to work for Tom when I was a lawyer in LA. I worked at his firm for several years. And for anyone who doesn't know, Tom Girardi was a top lawyer in California for many years. He did extremely, extremely well. And he married a woman who was, she was, you know, maybe 28 or 29 and he was 63. So they had a big age difference, but they had a long marriage, 
right? They were married for close over 20 years. And um, Erica was living this very extravagant life, okay? His wife wanted to be a pop star, like legit a pop star. And so she wasn't really making the kind of money that one needs to sustain a pop star lifestyle, to sustain work as a pop star, because they're paying out of pocket for all these shows that she's putting on and the costumes and, you know, jets heading around the world and all of these things on, you know, two private jets. And, you know, he made enough money that at some point that was probably the lifestyle he could afford. And then at some point it wasn't. And so whatever wounding either of them had around security, it's like it came up because they lost it all. And whatever happens with him, if he goes to jail for the rest of his life or whatnot, like she's now on her own after 20 years, married to a very, very rich man. And all these things are coming up now that she's sharing about like the lack of control that she had about how, as soon as she got a paycheck for anything, she just gave it over to him. And, you know, she never had any power and she never had an opportunity to do anything to the house. You know, they live in this, they lived in this Pasadena mansion that has, you know, It's beautiful decor for a certain look. It's very traditional. It's very old-fashioned, really. And Erica is this very edgy, you know, wannabe, like, pop star. I shouldn't say wannabe pop star. She has some success um, as a singer. But it's like this stuff was all still there. And it reared its ugly head later rather than sooner, but it still did come up. So the core wounding around security. The next one is love, right, where it's like, our parents love us. When we're little kids, our parents love us first. And at a certain point, we're supposed to learn how to love ourselves. And a lot of times we just don't. We become conditioned to just seek out the love of other people. And we end up creating patterns based on the way that our parents loved us. So if our parents loved us when we performed, we get used to performing for our partners. If our parents' love was very sporadic and conditional, we get used to people who love us sporadically and conditionally. If our parents are really mean to us and then they tell us they love us, we get used to people who send us these very mixed messages, right? We start forming these patterns based on the way that we received love then. And the third core wound is for self-esteem. And that's really about like, how are we seeing ourselves and our worth and our worthiness of love? And the one that's very interesting about this is that we all have our love blueprint, right? I went in depth about this in part one, which if you haven't watched, definitely go back and watch. But We will make choices that continue eroding our self-esteem. Whenever we're settling for situations, we're lowering our standards, we're being around people who don't treat us well, it's further eroding our sense of self-esteem. It's making us feel less and less worthy. So all of these things, you can heal those wounds. Like You can heal them, but you can also do things to make them more intense. And a lot of us, if we are acting unconsciously or subconsciously, we are lowering all of these things. We are making these wounds worse, not better, right? When we're acting on autopilot, you're most likely going to be making it worse. The third one that I want to cover, the third sort of subconscious block that we have to our manifestation is dysfunctional thought patterns. Dysfunctional thought patterns, we kind of all have them. And I already spoke about this, about how we're so connected to our thoughts. We think that they're true. We think that they're real. We're sure that this is the truth. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm believing. Therefore, this is true. We don't really take the time to question it. The other thing about our thought patterns is that we assume that everyone else thinks the way that we do. We think that most people share our thought patterns because often we do not get the chance to really closely interact with people who have the things that we want in the way that we want. 
it is entirely possible that there is no one in your life who has the kind of marriage, who has the kind of relationship that you really desire. I hear from a lot of my clients, they'll be like, my parents have been married for 45 years, but they literally hate each other. Or like, my parents have never had a relationship. They can't even look at each other. Or all of my friends are single. I do not have any friends that are in great relationships. Or I have friends that are coupled up, but like their husbands are really mean. I'm like, I don't want that. Right? Often we do not have an opportunity to really closely witness and talk to people who have the thing that we want in the same way that we want or close to the way that we want. Right? No one's going to have the exact relationship that you want. But the core dynamics could be something that you like. Right? There could be people who have relationships where they have a really good time together. They get along really easily. They see a future together. They're building together. They have fun together. They're well-connected. All of those things. Because we don't often have the opportunity to closely interact, to have that proximity with people who have the things that we want, we think that they think the same way that we do, and often they don't. So there's a couple of ways that we hold on to these dysfunctional thought patterns. We have dysfunctional thought patterns about ourselves. We have dysfunctional thought patterns about men. And then we have dysfunctional thought patterns about love and relationships. So the ones about ourselves, those are going to be things like, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not good enough. I never get what I want. I always have to do things on my own. No matter what I do, it's never enough. I always come last. No one ever thinks of me. Everybody hates me. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'll never have enough. I'll never have what I want. Right? And we have these thought patterns. We've been thinking them a lot. They feel true. And we haven't questioned them. And we think that like we're still going to get what we want with that because we don't talk to the people who have the things that we want to realize that like they started shifting those. Our dysfunctional thought patterns about men will be things like men don't want commitment. Men are such jerks. Men just care about sex. The only thing men care about are looks. Men are stupid. Men are trash. Men are the only problem. All of those things are dysfunctional thought patterns that we might hold about men that can really slow us down, stop us, um, slow us down or stop us from creating what we want. And then the dysfunctional thought patterns about relationships are things like, it's better to be single. I will never be able to have the kind of relationship that I want and actually be happy. I'll probably be more miserable from in a relationship, probably better to stay single. Anything that makes us think on any level that we are not going to be happy when we get the thing that we consciously desire, it means that we're having these competing commitments. All of these dysfunctional thought patterns lead to competing commitments because consciously you want a happy, healthy, loving, committed relationship with an amazing man that you can live your life with, that you can grow with, that you can really be close to and have everything that you want. And then on the other hand, you have these other beliefs that are like, no, if you're actually in a relationship, you're going to be miserable. And because those are the beliefs that are in the subconscious versus the desire, which is conscious, the subconscious always wins. So until you heal those dysfunctional thought patterns, until you become aware of the way they are operating in your life, it's going to be very hard for you to get the thing that you truly desire. How do you set boundaries so we can avoid being with partners who don't align with our needs and or don't communicate effectively? So when we're talking about boundaries, what you really want to think about is that when you are observing something in someone that makes that person not a match for what you truly desire, you end the relationship. You do not keep going forward because here's what I'll say. In the vast majority of cases, red flags are present from the very beginning. 
right? Most people do not keep their red flags completely under wraps until you're two years in. Now, of course, there are circumstances where that does happen, but like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the majority of cases. And in the majority of cases, you see that stuff from the beginning. Like you see it and you're like, oh, yikes, this feels like it could be a problem, but like oh, I'm having so much fun getting to know him. He's so cute. So good. Or like, oh, it was so good in the beginning. If we could just get back to that. Yes, I'm seeing these red flags. But like, oh, it was really so good. How am I going to let this go? What if I never meet someone again who's like him? So that is going to be the biggest thing. And that is going to be one of the biggest differences between women who quickly get what they want and women who don't. Is that when you see these dysfunctions happening, when you see these areas where you're not aligned, you release them and let it go. You don't want to make the mistake of thinking that you're going to just stop every single mistake before it can possibly happen, right? That's when you become overly guarded where you're like, oh, this potentially could go wrong. So I'm going to avoid that. And I'm just not going to actually connect with anybody. No, don't do that. You have to be willing to take the risk. You have to be willing to take the risk. You have to be willing to get hurt, to like someone and then find out that he's not a fit. You've got to be willing to sort of start over. Okay. The fourth subconscious block is a lack of clarity around what we really want and need. So what I mean by that is that often when we are choosing mates, when we are getting involved with men, we are approaching it like we're cave women. We are purely going on instincts and our instincts are telling us procreate, find the man who is big and strong. Find the one that you feel the most sexual chemistry with, and that's the one you're going to be with. So we create these relationships based on our instincts, primarily based on sexual attraction. But what we want are these happy, healthy, loving, committed, evolved relationships, right? Like a divine union where you're like really connected on like these deep levels where you can be married and have a family, right? And like that goes beyond just sex. Sex is just a component of it. So it's like we're choosing based on our instincts. You know, cave woman in us is like, ooh, that one. I want that one. And then evolved spiritual human us is like, okay, I'm ready for my divine relationship. And then we're like, why is this not matching up? Why is cave woman's choice not a divine, wonderful, kind, loving, consistent, stable man? And then we're like, you know, it's like we're mad at him. And it's like, no, the cave woman in you chose this man. So that's one of the big mistakes that we make around this. Okay, so financial stability is important to you. How do you not make it first priority? You just don't. You focus on the other qualities that you really desire as well. Here's the thing, though. If you create some stability for yourself, it will help you not feel desperate for it, right? Some women are in a situation where like they need a man to rescue them from their lives. They're looking to go from here to here and they're not really looking for love. They're not really looking for a husband. They're looking for a lifestyle and that's okay. You can have a relationship like that, but you have to understand what it is then. If you're saying the thing that matters to me most is wealth or someone who's rich or financial stability. That's my number one top priority. You can absolutely have that, but you have to understand that you're creating a different relationship dynamic. So I wasn't going to go into this, but I'll mention it. There's a couple of different relationship dynamics. 
And I'll just mention the three most common ones. So the first one that we're talking about right now is really about currency. There's an exchange. So if you're saying what I want most is someone who has a lot of money, you can absolutely have that, but there's going to be an exchange there. The second type would be chemistry. And this is what I was talking about just now when we we're talking about the cave woman. She's picking based on chemistry. And the problem is, is that the things that are going to draw us to someone sexually are not the same things that are going to make someone an amazing husband. They're not the same things that are going to make someone a great father, right? So it ends up being that we create certain dynamics where it's like, we created it from chemistry, we created it from sexual attraction, and it's not able to become the third type of dynamic, which is a commitment dynamic. These are the people that you are going to build a life with, where you are choosing maybe partly based on love, but also based on the potential for building a future together, right? Based on commitment. That's why it's like using any of these other things. You absolutely can. It's There's nothing inherently wrong, but it's worth understanding which kind of dynamic you're getting into. So when we talk about financial stability, first of all, you have to make a distinction here because sometimes women are saying, I want someone who's financially stable. And what they actually mean is I want someone who is really well off financially. I want someone who makes at least $200,000 a year, or at least half a million a year, or I want someone who's a multimillionaire. Fine. All of those things are fine. You can want any of those things. And you have to understand that if you're putting that as a top priority, if you're saying, this is absolutely what I require, while it is possible to form a commitment dynamic, you're looking at it first as a currency dynamic, which means there has to be something given in exchange. So when we're talking about someone, let's just use 200,000, for example. There are about 2.7% of people in America who make $200,000 a year or more, less than 3%. And then we're only looking at men You're only going to look at men in a certain age range, right? So the men who are 25 to 30, for example, or 25 to 35, who make that is going to be, you know, minuscule, very small. So then it's going to be only men who are, you know, between a different age, let's say 37 to 50. So it's going to be a very, very small number. And then we're talking about the ones who are single or divorced, now, some women will be like, well, I don't want to be with someone who's divorced. I don't want to be, I want to be with someone who's never been married before so we can really start a family together and be married together. Fine. You can want all that. But again, you're just making it smaller and smaller. And then you're like, okay, and he has to be over six feet. Again, fine. You can have that. That person exists. What I'm saying though is that it started out with 2.7%. That's the widest amount that it could be. That's everybody. But we have to make it smaller because we know they're not all men. They're not all going to be in an age range that you would find acceptable, they're not all going to be single or available. So we're talking about like, right? Like this very, very small amount. And the thing is, is that for women, wealth is extremely important. That is something that we very actively seek out in a partner. We want men that make money, right? So like, you're not alone in this. Most women feel this way because so many women desire that thing. Those men have the most options of any men. A man with a lot of money can have whatever woman he wants. So what do those men want? They want the most beautiful, most fit, the sweetest, youngest woman they can get, right? Like that's it. And that's fine, right? Like that is totally, that's totally fine for them to want that. So it's like, again, we're talking about currency here. 
So you can absolutely have those things, but it is worth understanding. Like, what might the expectation be for someone who can provide that? If you're going to make that a requirement, what is your expectation going to be? So this was actually something else that I was going to talk about was sort of that like sometimes when we're thinking about what we want, we think from this entirely selfish perspective, meaning we do not for any moment consider what a man might want. We only think about what we want. We're like, I want everything. We've got lists, pages and pages, which is okay. I was the same way. But like, you have to understand like, what is he going to be looking for? What is he going to be seeking in a wife? What is he going to find desirable? Right? And so it's like the thing that's always going to attract men is going to be physical appearance. That's going to be the first thing. And then after that, it's going to be energy. Do I love the way I feel with this woman? Do I love the way I feel with her? Do I have fun with her? Does she make me feel happy? When I think about her, do I feel good? Do I feel like I am winning by having her in my life? Women are a lot of work, right? Like we take a lot and we take a lot of resources. And so for men, they have to feel like by being with us, they are winning. And again, this isn't about poo-pooing, wanting someone with money. That was something I required. And that's fine. But you have to understand what they require also. So that means that I took really good care of my body. I made sure that I appeared a certain way that a lot of men would find attractive, right? Like I did everything that was within my power to appeal to the kind of man I'd want. So along with the clarity or the lack of clarity is, you know, so we talked about the disconnect when you're choosing from your cave woman and then you're wanting this evolved being. And it's like, why isn't it a match? The other thing that we sometimes try to do is you're trying to just force someone to be something too different from what they are, right? So it's like, imagine that you're going to a wedding and you're, you know, a bridesmaid or a family member. So they've asked you to wear a Navy gown, right? Your friend's like, I I want you to wear a Navy gown. I don't really care like the exact shade. I don't care about the straps. Like you can figure it out. Navy's the color, got to be a gown. We're having like a black tie wedding. Okay, no problem. So you're out shopping and you see all sorts of things and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. This is really nice. This is great. And you come across this pink sundress and you're like, oh my God, this dress. I feel like this is the dress I've been looking for all my life. Like this is perfect for me. And you try it on and you're like, oh, I've just never felt so beautiful. I love it. It's so much fun. I can't wait. I can't wait to wear it all the time. This is just like my favorite thing ever. And you're loving this pink sundress. And that's all well and good. And you could certainly have the pink sundress. But now you're trying to wear it to the wedding. And you're like, okay, got this pink sundress. And it needs some alterations. And you take it to the tailor and you're like, okay, so I've got this dress that I just love. Adore it. So cute, right? But I actually need it to be a navy gown. And the tailor's just going to be like, what? No, this isn't, this isn't the right material. Like, this isn't the right material. It's the wrong color. It's the wrong fabric. It's the wrong length. What, What do you want me to do with this? Like, this doesn't fit. This doesn't work. There's nothing for me to do. I have to create a whole new dress. But we sometimes do that with men. We need someone who is so far off from what we truly desire, particularly if we're talking about the way he treats us. 
right? So it's like we meet someone and he's like, I do not want you to be in a relationship. It's just not where I am. And you're like, oh, okay, no problem. And you're like, I'm going to get him. Like, I'm going to mold him and shape him into the perfect boyfriend, the perfect husband. And you're like, why isn't this working? You got to start with the right raw material. If you want someone who is a loving, committed family man type, then it's not going to work if he is 42 years old and in a band and travels all the time. You want to start with the right raw material. You're not trying to force someone to be something different than they are. And the other important point with this is not trying to force qualities that do not naturally coexist. When you are looking for things where it's like it's possible, but kind of not really, you're just making things harder for yourself. So this is part of the problem with not having clarity. So once you actually get that clarity, it's very easy for you to date. It's easy to be like, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. This person fits in. This person doesn't fit in. It makes it a little bit more fluid, actually, because you're not wasting time doing some of these things that just slow you down that aren't actually going to get you closer to what you want. Okay. So that is really what I wanted to share is just some of these big subconscious blocks because These are really big things that slow us down or stand in our way or stop us from having the love that we want. And when we can clear those out, we're able to move so much more quickly and easily towards the happy, healthy, loving, committed relationships we truly desire. It's like a lot of things going on internally that are holding you back and are making it much harder to get what you want. So clearing that, it's like people just take off. So for anyone who would like to take this work deeper, I want to let you know about some ways that I have to work with me. So the first way that I want to mention is the School of Manifesting Love. The School of Manifesting Love is my signature program for manifesting love. And this is really my step-by-step implementation program. And I love this program so much. I created this because this is exactly what I needed. And Now that I have been running this program for several years and I see the results it gets from my clients, I just love it even more because I know it wasn't just me that it worked for, right? It works for all types and sorts of women. And that's really powerful because this isn't something that we ever get training around. And so actually learning how to become an energetic match and magnetize the kind of relationship you want, like what more can you ask for? So the doors are now open. It's the first time I've opened the doors publicly this year, and I'm just very excited to run this program again. And the thing that's going to be different this time is that I am building in a much higher amount of support. So while it is a digital course and there is content in there, and if you sign up, as soon as you sign up, you are going to get access to those modules and you can start digging in and doing the work, which is going to be so amazing. It's like by the end of the week, you could already start having a really different perspective and inner experience of love. So even though that is all amazing and so, so good, there's also an element of support, coaching, and Q&A. I will be doing a series of calls so that you can actually get coaching and feedback from me. And this is really, really amazing because when we're talking about the subconscious, the hardest part is that we're often not aware of what's happening with us. Like we do not know necessarily what is going on for us subconsciously. And so for you to have the opportunity for actual coaching and feedback where I can help you recognize those blocks and you can clear them where you do not just have to figure them out on your own, that is everything. 
So I am really excited because we've only been doing Q&As about once a month. Over the next handful of weeks, we're going to be doing them multiple times per month. So you will have the opportunity for hot seat coaching with me and to get all of your questions answered. So that's going to be really awesome. So there's the six core modules that make up the system. And this is a method that can really allow you to manifest love very fast. I also include all sorts of really, really incredible bonuses in there that you'll get access to as well as soon as you sign up. So I love the School of Manifesting Love. It is my favorite thing I've ever created. Okay, so I love the program. If you are feeling called, I do hope that you will join me. The second way of working with me is called Date Like a Duchess. Now, if you join the School of Manifesting Love, Date Like a Duchess is included. So if you join the School of Manifesting Love, you do not need to buy this separately. Date Like a Duchess is such a good program. It is so good. It really goes through the internal shifts that you need to make to go from dating like what I call a commoner to dating like a duchess. So if you are someone who has struggled with low standards, low boundaries, low self-esteem in particular, this program will be really, really powerful for you because I walk you through all of that, how to really make those shifts. And what I love about this program is I use these examples that are just like so good. And the duchess, who is the example, like you'll never guess who it is. So good. So Date Like a Duchess is also available. Date Like a Duchess is a digital course that doesn't include a Facebook group. It does not include coaching. It is a program that you can go through on your own over and over again. You can listen to the modules over and over again. I'm um, really allow that to sink in. The School of Manifesting Love does include the coaching element, which I think is really, really powerful, as well as a Facebook group. If you're interested in any of those, I will drop the links for Date Like a Duchess as well as the School of Manifesting Love. So I hope that you really enjoyed this. I would love, love, love to hear from you in the comments if you did, you know, with what your takeaways were. It really means everything to me. So I hope this served you well. I love you so much. And I will speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes and be sure to tune in next time to the Rise and Love podcast.